Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Uh, as I've mentioned a couple weeks ago and last week, the title of my message this morning is What Does God Smell Like? And uh, it's kind of a silly title. And the title goes back to my days of being a youth pastor here at Living Word. And although it is not a verse-by-verse exposition of Scripture, it is actually a serious topic, titled Notwithstanding. And, spoiler alert, I will not be offering a concrete answer to the question. God smells like bacon or something like that, you know. It's more of a general sense. But let's start here. You ever, uh, you're listening to the radio, you're walking through a store, because I don't want to accuse anybody of listening to secular music on purpose. Uh, but maybe you're walking through a store and a song comes on uh, over the speakers and it's a song from 20 years ago, or 10 years ago, or 40 years ago. And it's not just a man, when you hear it, you don't go like, oh yeah, I remember liking that song 20 years ago. It's like it takes you back. Oh, I remember where I was when this song was popular. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, there are tactile experiences, too. I know uh, I can remember as a, as a child, one of the most pleasant things was for uh, my mom just to gently, you know, we call it back rub. You know, I think back rub now, I think more like a deep tissue massage. But back then, it was just gently brushing fingernails on my back. And I know all, the, all of my siblings, you know, they still do this. Hey, five for five, I'll rub your back for five minutes if you rub my back for five minutes. And just to get that experience, and it's not just how pleasant it is, it takes you back to those days of childhood. And, uh, you know, same thing, I get the same sense when I jump into an ice-cold swimming pool. I can remember doing that as a kid. Uh, just that feeling, a little bit of takes you back. And obviously our eyes offer us plenty of opportunities to remember things. Just looking through an old photo album uh, can really tug at the heartstrings. But I remember uh, reading years ago that of the five primary physical senses, the one that is most closely wired to your memory circuits is the sense of smell. That a smell, more than anything else, will take you back and impact uh, certain memories, uh, pull those things up to the surface, good or bad. And, uh, and when I read that, it struck me immediately as being true, at least in my experience. There are certain smells that practically transport me to a different place and time. Uh, for years, uh, whenever I would get a whiff of honeysuckle, uh, I'm back at Fort Benning, Georgia. That's what, that was the overwhelming smell in many of the places we went there. Uh, Amaretto coffee takes me back to Canaan land. We used to get uh, a lot of food donated to us and a lot of food at the food bank. And for some reason, we would just get pounds and pounds of flavored coffee. And almost all of it was Amaretto. So since it was free, this, and practically every student had a, at least a mini coffee maker uh, in his room. And so you'd walk down the hall, and the, the place just smelled like that coffee to the point where I couldn't stand it anymore. I'm not a big fan of flavored coffee anyway, but I kind of was at the time. And because there were some traumatic memories associated with Canaan land for years, <laughs> whenever I smelled that, I'd just be like, ah! I'd just kind of curl up in a ball. And no, it was never that bad. Uh, and this is a little weird, but I remember my sister Cheryl 
had, uh, I think she got these from my dad's mom. I know, I'm almost positive she got them from uh, Grandma Millis. They were these miniature little dolls with long hair, and each one smelled differently. Do you remember these, Cheryl? You don't? I remember something you don't? Wow. Somebody write this date down, okay? But I remember it's true. And there was one. I didn't play with dolls, okay? I just want you to know. Not there's anything wrong with it, but I didn't play with them. But there was one doll, you know, I would... I'd smell it. It was just like, oh, that just smells so good. There are certain smells I just want to smell again and again and again. I was opening a package of these Belvita healthy biscuits the other day, you know, the little, little cookies, and the blueberry smell. And I just, just, the smell of fake blueberries always just gets me, you know, blueberry muffins. I'm, I'm all over the place. Anyway, I'm smell, I can remember the smell of this doll smelling a particular way. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm seven, eight years old, uh, or how old? whenever we moved into the old country house, the big house out there. And years later, I was smelling something. I don't know if it was a perfume or what it was that somebody told me, this is, this is the scent of jasmine. And I smelled it. And I'm like, it's that doll. It's that doll from back, way back then when I was eight years old. Just instantly. Now, none of this has any specific spiritual significance necessarily. It's just a way of helping us understand that our sense of smell does more uh, than just aid us in identifying what's cooking or dying or growing in our environment. We looked briefly at this scripture two weeks ago, <coughs> and it will serve as our text this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity. But as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Now this verse speaks to something beyond just obediently sharing the gospel. But let me stop there for a minute and remind you that that is exactly what we're called to do. Let's don't forget that. If we're doing, if we're living the way we're supposed to live, you know, this, this, this verse... Uh, came up in a message about how we are. When we are born again, we are literally created for good works that God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. And these works are all connected with sharing the word of God and bringing others into that saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, whether it's people right here in our sphere of influence, uh, around the town and around the world, that's what our works should be about. But I love the idea here, the aroma, the fragrance of Christ. You remember in, in Acts, early in the book of Acts, when Peter and John were walking up to the temple, and there was the lame man, and uh, you know, he's begging alms, and they took, they said, silver and gold have I none, such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God, and suddenly there's a lot of attention on this guy, because this wasn't a guy who just showed up this day. This guy was somebody that had known to be lame. All those years, and they saw him, and there was a crowd gathered, and Peter preached, and thousands of people responded to the gospel, 
And uh, the authorities, the temple authorities, questioned them. They were bothered by this because the temple authorities were Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. And one of the things that Peter and John were preaching, what Peter was preaching here, was the resurrection. So they call him in for questioning. And it says this in Acts 4. Uh, 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Now, it may be that just in the course of questioning, they learned this or that they just put two and two together. But there's something about this that strikes me as simply this. Our presence in a room, our presence in a conversation, our presence in a crowd should speak of the presence of Christ. Something about us being there ought to look like, feel like, smell like God is in the room. You become like who you hang around, whether you mean to or not. You ever talk to somebody for a few minutes? And you know immediately who they've been with, what crowd they've been with, who they've been hanging out with, maybe because of certain language they use, maybe just because of certain inflections, certain, certain even, even body language. You find yourself picking up on it. And that's why impressions are so funny. A good impressionist, you know immediately who they are acting like, even if they can't do the voice, because they get mannerisms down. And you, you cannot avoid it. You hang out with certain people long enough, you will pick up on their speech patterns, their mannerisms, their gestures, a lot of stuff. You become like who you hang around. I'm, and again, I'm not talking about just in the negative. Oh, you, uh, you came back cussing. You've been hanging around a lot of people that cuss, don't you? I'm talking about all these mannerisms. Uh, or even how we simply adopt, and this is even more serious, we adopt the thinking and values of those we spend time with. This is the scary thing about sending kids off to liberal universities and the like. That's why there's such an uproar about the ridiculous additions and changes to the curriculum of even young students in the public school system. Because it goes beyond education, doesn't it? This is flat out pure indoctrination. It's an effort to frame, cert, uh, frame a certain worldview for these young people that unofficially, uh, or un, maybe officially, but certainly uncritically embraces certain positions that we as Christians should be opposed to. And I've had these conversations with young people for years, long before I had kids of my own, but also with my own kids. We confront them. I'm not just talking about my kids. I'm talking about conversations I had with several youth uh, back in the day especially. Confront them with what we are convinced is a bad decision, an unwise decision, a sinful decision or action. And sometimes the response is, you know, things are different now. It's not as big a deal today as it was when you were my age. Practically everyone speaks this way, dresses this way, acts this way, believes these things. Number one, no. <laughs> there is nothing new under the sun. There might be different specific manifestations of the same old temptations and problems, but they are still the same old temptations and problems. Coarse speech is still coarse speech. Fornication is still fornication. Immodesty is still immodesty. Sin is still sin. Number two, no, 
Not everyone else is like that, believing that, doing that. There are still, thank God, young people and people of all ages who swim against the current, who make right decisions for no other reason than that they are the right decisions. And thank God for them. Number three, so what? So what if practically everyone else is living and believing and acting and speaking that way? Doesn't the word of God specifically warn us that this will be the case? Doesn't it? That the world, broadly speaking, has a completely different set of values compared to the kingdom of God? Aren't we commanded to not be conformed to this world? Why would it say that if the world isn't exactly like people are describing it? Well, everybody does it. You're not everybody. You're a child of God. You're not to conform to what most people are and do and believe and say and everything else. And this is, again, what I like about the allusion to aroma, to smell, to fragrance. Because it's not, in this case, a matter of specific actions or words What is God doing? Through us, he is diffusing that aroma. It can be pervasive, should be pervasive. You know, there are certain activities, places, jobs, uh, environments that leave a smell on you, a literal smell on you, right? I remember reading a book years ago called In the Heart of the Sea. It was a a true account uh, of a whaling expedition that went horribly wrong. It was actually the inspiration for the novel Moby Dick. And, but this guy did his research. This was a Nantucketer who wrote this book, and he, talked, he, he described how these naive young uh, sailors would go on their first whaling voyage, and they had to buy their own clothes. And this ship had basically a company store, and they would just take it out of their wages. But whaling and trying out these whales, trying out is, was the, is the process by which you know, they, they, they take off this blubber and boil it down. It's such a noxious odor, this thick, oily smoke that, that you know, even some seasoned sailors would vomit in the process of trying out these whales. But it just, so, it just got into every fiber of your clothing. And so these sailors would immediately... Uh, throw away their clothing and buy more, and they would use up, they would come back from these year and a half, two year, three year whaling voyages, owing the ship money because they just hadn't learned that you just kept one set of stinky clothes for when we're slaughtering the whales. But it was just, the, the smell was just that bad. Uh, similarly, uh, I can remember at, when I lived in Alabama, there was a paper mill probably 15 miles away, but when the wind was blowing a certain way, that's all you could smell. Anybody ever been near a paper mill and smelled that, that sulfur? A hog rendering plant, something like that. It's, it's awful. But it's awful. O-F-F-A-L. Get it? Anyway. Uh, this, <laughs> this, uh, uh, even those things, though, if you're the owner of that paper mill, right, ah, factory's up and running, not that it's a pleasant smell, but you associate it with something. You and I walk by an outhouse or a sewage treatment plant, and we think that's, that's pretty awful. Russ Gulliford smells the same thing and says, smells like money. <laughs> In fact, Russ has often said, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh, he said, he told me before churches, I stopped short of saying, your poop is my bread and butter. Uh, that's, a li- that's going a little too far. <laughs> there, are many, there, are, there are some very distinct smells associated with certain jobs and environments. Uh, you know, likewise, back in the day when smoking was permitted in public places, uh, if you sat, and never mind if you sat even in the smoking section, if there was smoking going on in a restaurant uh, or, or any other building, you walked out, you were going to smell a little bit like it. I took up smoking for a while back in my army days and my guard days, and I thought I was hiding it pretty well from the people I didn't want to know I was smoking. Uh, but how many of you know, how many of you have been there that when you eat a bunch of mints or chew a bunch of gum, then you smell like minty smoke, uh, right? Uh, my parents let me know uh, in, in pretty short order, hey, you're, you're not kidding anybody, you're not fooling anybody. Uh, you ever go to kiss your spouse, and your spouse says, you had garlic for lunch, didn't you? Three days ago. Bulgogi, right? I used to eat a jalapeno pepper or something, and make sure I got it all over my lips, and then go up to my wife and say, give me a kiss, baby. And, but she's on to me now. If I'm in the kitchen, or if it's, you know, if, if it's pepper season, she knows what I'm up to. Speaking of peppers, uh, I plant uh, hot peppers every year. Most of you know I like spicy food, and I like habaneros are probably my favorite pepper, and perfect balance of really good heat and really good flavor. Uh, but when they, when they come on, when it, when it, when they're, and they're usually very productive plants, but when they come on, they come on all at once. And so I go from having zero habanero peppers to having 200 habanero peppers, and I don't want to waste them, and I want to be able to use them, so I dehydrate them. Roger Benzel blessed me with a really nice uh, food dehydrator a couple of years ago. And uh, so I, I'll cut the stems off, you know, I'll wash them, cut the stems off, I'll slice them. I might smoke them for a little bit on the grill, but anyway, they wind up and stacked up in this dehydrator that has an air circulating mechanism. And uh, when that's happening in the house, the house smells like habanero peppers. There's no getting away from it. And Beth can't stand it. Bless her heart. Uh, she said, to, to me, I love the smell of habanero peppers. Now, it can be a little strong when that's going on, but I enjoy that smell. She doesn't, and there's no getting away from it. So she said, can you do it outside? Can you do it in the garage? No, it's, it's because this time of year, it's too humid. You've got to have dry air flowing through this dehydrator. So she just moves for three days during uh, pepper dehydrating uh, weekend or something like that. Now, we'll find something for her to do, but she puts up with it. But again, you can't get away from it, and you can't, you can't miss that it's going on. Even if I didn't tell her I was doing it, if I had it all started before she ever saw me come in with them, she'd know the second, never mind, never mind coming in the house, she'd know the second she got out of her car in the driveway what was going on, that I'm dehydrating peppers. You just know. Now, I want to I belabor this because I, I want to make a jump to some practical applications, but I want, also want you to understand that just because something doesn't have a pleasant aroma in and of itself doesn't mean we can't have a pleasant association with it. This goes for a lot of food, you know, uh, it, it, but it comes down to taste. There are some things, some people might like the smell of a skunk. Does anybody in here like the way a skunk smells? Seems like I've heard that some people actually like that smell. I don't know. 
Uh, and some people like to eat certain things. Some people are pickier, but even picky eaters might like things that, that other people don't. I'm one of the least picky eaters I know. Uh, but I think pineapple on pizza is a travesty. Uh, I kind of feel that way about barbecue chicken pizza. And I know they, 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 people might love them, and there's nothing sinful about them, at least as far as I know. I'm looking for Bible verses that will back me up on that. Uh, on the other hand, I'll open a can of sardines. I eat a can of sardines or smoked oysters once or twice a week here at the office, and, or not, you know, in the kitchen, and I smell it. And I recognize, it's not necessarily what I'd call a pleasant smell, but I know these are so good, this particular brand of sardines, polar sardines. And that, that, but I know that once I eat them, I've got to wash that can out with soap, and I've got to spray some air freshener in the kitchen because not everybody likes that smell, but it's pervasive. People who like to go fishing and cleaning fish, that fish house smells a certain way, and it's not pleasant. I don't want to smell like that. I don't want my home to smell like that. But in the context of cleaning fish and thinking we're going to eat fish, it doesn't smell bad. It just has its place. But the aroma of Christ is meant to be pervasive. When we are around people, they ought, it ought not take them long to realize that we have been with Christ that we are Christians, that we're believers. Some of the saddest observations uh, and conversations over the years have had to do with just that. Having to ask somebody or just talk about this. If nobody knows you are a Christian, why? In fact, if nobody that you know knows that you're a believer, are you? This kind of goes back to some things we were talking about over the last few weeks. I've told this story, uh, it's been a while I think, uh, back in 1985 I was a newly commissioned second lieutenant and I got to go, I got orders, I volunteered for it, I, then I forgot about it until the orders came, I got to go out to Fort Ord, California, home of the 7th Infantry Division, which was our mother unit here in Urbana at the time, uh, and we spent uh, well, two and a half weeks at Hunter Liggett Training Area in this massive tri-service uh, military exercise, and it was really something. I'm there as a controller or a grader on these things, but all I was doing was hanging out with this really high-speed light infantry platoon, uh, just watching them in action. And uh, I'd, we'd been out in the field for three or four days when the uh, radio telephone operator, corporal, named Carpenter, I still remember his name for some reason, said, sir, do you mind if I ask you a question? I said, no, what is it? I didn't have anything to do. I'm writing in a journal and just kind of sleeping during the day because I didn't have a job other than to watch these guys. And he says, are you like religious or something? Now, I had not been reading my Bible out in the field. Or if I did, I wasn't doing it ostentatiously. I had not shared the gospel. Uh... I'm thinking, all right, did he see me praying over my MRE or what? I said, uh, well, I said, I don't like the term religious. I said, I, I, do, uh, I am a believer in Jesus Christ, and I try to take that seriously, but what made you ask that question? He said, because we've been out in the field for four days, and I haven't heard you cuss even once. Boy, that's setting the bar pretty low, isn't it? But there is such a thing, they used to call it Army Creole, and it's, I'm sure it's not just the Army. Uh, you just get there's something about that environment that just brings up every possible bad word, and some of it gets pretty humorous, but I won't share those stories. But 
just that question opened the door for many conversations with that guy and, even more fun, with the platoon sergeant, a guy named Gardner. I remember his name, too. Years later, this is a story that's not near as fun to tell, uh, many years later, after, long after I had uh, been out of the guard and been to Rama and back, and uh, even to Alabama and Indiana and back, I was at Sam's and ran into a guy who had been a brand new second lieutenant about the time I got out. Our careers overlapped by maybe six months, but he remembered me. And so I told him what I was doing. I said, I'm actually a youth pastor now in St. Joe. And he goes, you mean you're like a minister? I said, yeah. He goes, huh, that's the last thing I ever thought you would be. Why? Because little by little, I had conformed to the world around me. I didn't stop believing in Christ. But the believers in my life could smell the world on me much easier than the world could smell Christ on me. Does that make sense? I think you get it, so let's move on. Some of that moves along the edges of uh, being esoteric, and I want to give you a few things to sink your teeth into. And here's the reason I brought this scripture up a couple of weeks ago. Uh, let's read this part again in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. Our smell, the sense of our presence, should be consistent. Whether, again, if somebody likes the smell of a skunk, if somebody hates the smell of a skunk, or sardines, or whatever else, they still smell like what they smell like, right? We all know what a skunk smells like. Uh, there's something about us, actually many things about us, that should speak consistently about the presence of Christ in our lives, but that smell is not going to strike everyone the same way. They ought to be able to say, oh, you are like the way, you are like this corporal, you must be religious. You're one of those Christians. Now, to a Christian or to somebody who is seeking truth and life and is willing to take that however it turns out to be, this is life. It's something about you attracts me. You have something that I want. I need to know some things that I believe you can share with me. To a person who is in love with their sinful lifestyle and is threatened by your Christianity, who is offended by your Christianity, they still recognize what it is. Oh, you're one of those Christians. One of those born-agains. Maybe because of an unfortunate or, or, or a, a really negative experience. Maybe the only Christian in their life so poorly represented Christianity that that's the way it is. But more often than not, lately, it's just a matter of I want to live a certain way and Christianity is not going to let me live that way. Therefore, Christianity is false and therefore I hate it and everybody who has anything to do with it. I've prayed... There are people in my life that I pray for this way. Lord, just let them see you for who you really are. Let them see Jesus as he is. Because I feel so strongly that Jesus is so winsome, so attractive, that if they can just, if I can just get out of the way, if they can just see him, they can't help falling in love with him. But to some, he is the aroma of death itself. Bonhoeffer famously wrote, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. There are some people who are so in love with their sinfulness that the idea of surrendering to Christ is horrifying. 
I read a passage from uh, Francis Thompson's famous poem, The Hound of Heaven, uh, probably a few months ago, that really illustrates that point beautifully. Uh, A little more recently, Lord of the Rings, Gollum, remember? My precious. The thing that is destroying his life is the one thing that he refuses to give up. But here's, here's where we have to take inventory of ourselves because we can be bold and we can be joyful. And when we find that some still despise us and reject the gospel, we can say, well, it's the aroma of Christ in me that's turning them off. He's a stumbling block to them. It's not my problem. But look at Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes 10, beginning in verse 1. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. The idea here, and, and some of you probably know a lot more than, I don't know next to nothing about this, about perfuming, but while making perfume, you create this potent concentrated mixture that's going to be added to an oil, uh, an ointment of some kind that will dilute it somewhat, but still carry the essence without being overpowering. The idea is we're going to add just enough of this really strong uh, uh, aroma, aromatic, to this mixture so that it can be applied and other people can enjoy it. But if there is just a little bit of contamination in this concentrated mixture, it can absolutely ruin the entire batch. Dead flies, they'll rot and they'll decompose and they will transform a batch of perfume base and the result is something that smells like death. And it's sobering to think that just a little folly can do that to our witness, our Christian witness. It's not really fair, but it's true. One more army reference. I'm not sure if the, if the army invented this, but this is certainly where I heard it more than maybe the only place I ever heard it. Certainly the only place I heard it consistently. It takes 10 attaboys to make up for one, oh shoot. That's the G-rated version, obviously. You've got to do 10 things really well before people will begin to forget the one thing you did poorly. You look at uh, many ministers who have fallen over the years. Some of them over grave sin indeed. And some of them, despite what the media says, despite what the, 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 the stone throwers say, they genuinely repent. They got caught, they were exposed, it cost them, and they really turn, and they still have something to offer. And God still loves them. The gifts and callings are without repentance. But they will never completely win over the people they lost through their folly. It's costly. We live in a world that loves to dig up bones and remind us of our past failures. And we have to work hard to reestablish trust and reopen doors that have been shut due to our foolishness and due to our sin. But I bring it up because if we're going to be bold enough to share the gospel, we need to be honest enough to recognize that sometimes they are not rejecting Jesus, they are rejecting us. 
And sometimes it's because we don't smell like him. Does that make sense? Our words might be true words, but we are not presenting them in a way that Jesus would. There's something about us that isn't as winsome, isn't as charming, because we can't get ourselves out of the way. There's still too much foolishness in us, still too much sin that we are tolerating in our lives. Now, again, maybe it's not the beautiful truth of the gospel message that people are reacting to. Maybe it's your lifestyle. Maybe it's things that they're aware of that make it, make them hard, make it hard for them to take you seriously. Maybe it's just your tone. Maybe it's your attitude. Remember, one of the central principles of these last several messages is to keep our behavior... Let's just read it. 1 Peter chapter 2, 11. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, in Romans 2, Paul writes to the Jews in Rome that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And he's quoting Isaiah and Ezekiel, who said the same thing. You remember, hmm, just very quickly, uh, this was God's plan for the nation of Israel back when he established them, was to place them among the nations so that the nations around them would see, wow, that is a prosperous nation. That's a blessed nation. We want to know about them and their God. This was his plan. Did he bless Israel because he loved Israel? Yes, but he also wanted to bless Israel so that the nations who did not know him would come to know him. But he couldn't just ignore their sin and bless them no matter what. So the nations around them, they would see moments of God's power and blessings, but Israel had such a horrible predilection to idolatry that eventually God, he withheld those blessings. And these curses would come on Israel, and the nations around them would say, your God's no stronger than ours. Your God's abandoned you. And God's like, oh, they are blaspheming me. They are saying things about me that aren't true, but it's your fault. It's because you are not keeping up your end of the covenant. Anyway, let's do everything we can to let people see the real Jesus, meet the real Jesus, and let his light shine through us. There's a couple of things we can do. Again, you become like who you hang around. So how about this? You spend time with fellow believers. You come to church. You know, the disciples ventured out into the world. They went into all the world, but they also returned to their own company. They did that for mutual support, for corporate prayer, for edification by the spiritual gifts. You become like who you hang around. So spend time with God by spending time in worship, spending time in his word, and spending time in prayer. Let's become like him on purpose. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So spend time filling your heart with the, with the word of God so that when you open your mouth, that's what comes out. A few final words of encouragement. It takes all of us to get this done. You are able to reach people that I can't reach. It takes, you know, we need different voices, different backgrounds. You don't need to sound like me. Neither of us need to sound like Brother Hagen or Billy Graham to get this job done. 
we don't need to sound like them to sound like Christ. Just as the psalmist wrote, I can't remember exactly where it is, it takes different strokes to move the world. Yes, it does. It takes different strokes to move the world. No, that's not Psalms. That's from an old TV show. Look at this again in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life, and who is sufficient for these things? In other words, who is equal to this task? There's the big question, because this is a pretty heavy burden. We are, God is actually through us, diffusing the aroma of Christ, and to some we smell like death, to some we smell like life. And their reaction to our representation of Jesus is going to lead them to life or lead them to death. Now again, let me back up again. It's, I, 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 I kind of ended on a joke with that different strokes thing, but it does take different voices. I can remember, uh, this is a, I don't know if dad ever told this story. He probably did to the congregation, but I know he told it to, to, to leadership. He was invited out uh, through, through Rhema to spend uh, a week or several days anyway uh, with just a handful of guys, a relative handful of guys, uh, uh, sitting under Jack Hayford. He just sort of custom did a bunch of pastors teaching for these, for these uh, folks. And he got to have a few conversations with him. Jack Hayford, highly respected, wonderful man of God. And, uh, of course, dads, we didn't discover Hayford until well into our Christian journey and certainly well into our journey in, in charismatic Christian uh, belief and, and, you know, the full gospel, Rama and all that. Uh, but we came to respect and love him. But our roots, you know, we weren't, our first exposure to the message of the word of faith goes back to Kenneth Copeland. It was through Kenneth Copeland that we learned about Brother Hagen and Rayma and everything else. Uh, and so dad just asked him, he says, you know, I know you, you have so many contacts and you, you know so many people. Uh, do you ever, do you have any relationship with Kenneth Copeland? And, uh, and Hayford says, I, we've met, we talked. He says, we're kind of cut from a different cloth. He says, I don't, I don't disagree with his teachings. I just, I find his... Uh, what did he say? His, uh, his mannerisms and his um, delivery can be kind of abrasive. And this is coming from Jack Hayford, who's ultra-refined, ultra-eloquent, and gentle. And, 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 and there's no denying that in terms of you know, one, you know, the, just their nature and their delivery and their, just their personalities. But Dad said this. He says, I agree with you. He says, but you have to understand, when I first came to Christ... You couldn't have reached me. Your gentle, soothing, eloquent speech would not have made a dent in me. I needed some, somebody who was a little abrasive. So we need that, okay? Uh, but again, there's a difference between being a little abrasive and God being able to use you to sand somebody's rough spots off and being offensive and stinky and foolish, right? Okay, who is equal to this task we read on into chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is still in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 3, do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of recommendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written on our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart, and we have such trust through Christ toward God. Listen to this, verse 5. 
Not that we are sufficient ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That's good news. Because again, we are the aroma of Christ, and to some, their experience with us their being in our presence is going to lead them to make a decision that leads to life, lead them to a decision that leads to death. This is heavy. This is big. Who's equal to it? Who's sufficient for the task? And what's Paul turn around and say? We're not, not, not on our own, but God is. God is the one who is diffusing that aroma through us, and it is God who is sufficient to this task to make us effective ministers of the gospel. So if you want to pray, and, and praise and worship team, you can be making your way up here. We want our prayers answered, and the best way to do that is to pray according to the will of God, because if we pray anything according to his will, he hears us, right? We pray in faith. Where does faith begin? Where the will of God is known. He has made it known to us that he wants us to represent Christ. Would anybody argue with that? What am I supposed to smell like, God? You're supposed to smell like Jesus, but who's the one who's doing that? Who's the one who's diffusing that aroma? It's God. So pray this simple prayer that God would do this work in you and through you. That he would continue to form you into the image of Jesus Christ. That he would make us smell like Jesus. Because that's what we're supposed to smell like. Stand up if you can. These are harsh terms. And when we talk about our presence speaking of the presence of Christ, and people sensing that we, and knowing, realizing that we have been with Jesus, it's super important. But we look at these terms that Paul uses here, life and death. If we smell like life to people, they're going to be much more open to the clear message of the gospel. Man, what is it that makes me just want to be around you? You just, you just exude something. In spiritual terms, you smell like something I want to smell like. And then you say, here's, here's what it is. It ain't me. I wasn't born this way. But I met Jesus Christ. He changed my life. To others who are so wretched and again, in love with their sinfulness, they... Nothing offends them more than you being a goody two-shoes. And this is not, you don't have to be, to spend decades wrapped up in your sin to be like that. I've known kids who were like this. High schoolers who are just so, they're just evil. They're mean. They're not unreachable. God can still reach them. And it might take somebody else to do it. But meanwhile, Jesus doesn't smell good to them. But as long as they maintain that attitude of rejection, as long as they hate the essence that they can sense about you that is Jesus, what's it going to mean? Well, they're just not going to be happy. No, they're going to die. Spiritual death. This is a life and death situation we're talking about. So the first thing I need to ask you, and looking around this room, I know I think everybody in here, practically everybody in here, but I never want to take anything for granted. 
since this is a life and death decision, I'm setting life and death before you. Choose life. Will you surrender your life to Jesus Christ? It's a good thing. He is worth surrendering to. Even if there's something in your life, I just want to hold on to this. You surrender your life to him. Don't hold anything back. It's not a matter of, well, I've got to quit doing this or start doing this before I can become a Christian. You become a Christian and just commit to letting him call the shots. Because everything he speaks to you, everything he gives you, and everything he takes from you is going to lead to life. Not survival, but life, and life more abundant. Right? This is what he wants for you. You ought to want it for yourself. But he has to be the one in charge. We can't please him on our own. We have to be born again. We were by nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, has made us alive, has placed us in Christ, and set out a life of good works so that we can walk in those works and please him. Have you made that decision? Have you looked at the cross and said, that death that Jesus died was necessary for my salvation? That blood had to be shed to cleanse me from the sin that keeps me from God. If you've not made that recognition, if you have not bowed your knee before the Lordship of Jesus Christ, today is your day. Don't wait another week. Say, I'm healthy. i got a lot of time to live. i got a lot of time to think this out and make this decision. Jesus could come back before I finish this sentence. For the believers in here, and that's practically everybody, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you've never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's where the power to live like this comes from. That's what's going to make you smell like Jesus. The Holy Spirit himself fills you, works through you. You simply yield yourself to him. He is not a power that you go kapow, kapow with. He is the one that inhabits you and brings the right words out of your mouth, causes you to smell like life in the midst of a dying world. Maybe you just need to recommit yourself to looking, sounding, and smelling like Jesus. The Bible also says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So next week, what does God taste like? No, we probably are not going to do that next week. But if you need to make one of those decisions today, I need to be born again. I need to become a Christian. I need to recommit my life, and I need to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to sing a song here right after I pray. When they start singing, you want to respond to that? Come up here and let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for assuring us that difficult as it seems sometimes, you're the one providing the power. You're the one doing the work. We just want to be found yielded to you. We don't want to cling to our personality and our, our preferences to the point where we turn people off to Jesus Christ. We want people to see Jesus in us. We want, to be, we want people to be able to smell Jesus on us. Father, it's my prayer that if there's anybody in here who does not know Jesus as Savior, does not know you as Father, that they would come to know you today, that you would reveal yourself for who you are, a loving creator who desires to be in a life-giving relationship with us. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross that makes that possible. And we are trusting you. We as believers are trusting your Holy Spirit 
to do the convicting work to bring the sinner to right relationship with you in Jesus' name. If there's anybody in here who already does know you, Father, that hasn't experienced your power walking in that authority and walking in that, uh, in that wisdom and gentleness that speaks of your presence, Father, move on them to desire and yield to the baptism of the Holy Spirit so they can walk in that power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you as you come. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.